Good evening and welcome from Mexico. Which part of Mexico? Mexico City. Oh, yeah. Okay. What's the temperature like? It's wild here. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the temperature is in double figures. Double? Must be uh, unseasonably cold then. Surely it should be in triple figures. Oh, hang on. No, sorry. I had it upside down. No, it is. Yeah. I'm, this is a ruse. I'm not really in Mexico at all. Well, not proper uh, Mexico. You're just in Baja. Pardon? <laughs> Baja, California, which is sort of technically Mexico, but I gather Mexicans don't really regard it as proper Mexico. I guess it's like the Edinburgh of Mexico. Did you get caught up in the storm earlier on? What storm? Well, I was pissing about with CBS on my TV earlier on, and they had Drew Carey's The Price is Right. Well, hey, and on the top of the screen it said storm warning for somewhere in America. I think oh. it was actually, I think it was Boston. That's kind of slightly... You're, you're, that's a little bit out of your ITV yeah. region, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's farther north than New York, and I once worked out that uh, where I am is as far away from New York as Bradford is from Jerusalem. <laughs> so. so the high winds didn't affect you then? <laughs> I think I once actually did message you with regards to... Was that a hurricane that was happening in New Jersey or something like that? And I think a message you saying, I oh, hope oh, 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 you're not being caught up in that. And then you had to explain that actually you were... Uh, about as far away from there as you could possibly be and still be in the United States. Yeah. So, yes. Well, the continental United States. I mean, Hawaii is all other issue. What are we talking about? Well, you wouldn't know it to listen to us, but we're talking about In Loving Memory with Fora Hart and Christopher Beanie. And um, I'm Mooncat, and you are Ocho, and this is The Sitcom Club. And thank you very much indeed to Dots Christian Troy and to Squiddy uh, for filling in a couple of weeks back with their discussion on Avir Apocalypse Now. And that was very interesting indeed, and I'm sure that we will be hearing from them again very soon. I think they've got a couple of things lined up. Are we incapable of doing what we're going to say we're going to do? What? Right, just before our summer holidays, we said, okay, and we're going to be back, and we're going to be back with Odd Men Out. And we came back with Man About the House. And then we finished Man About the House and we said, OK, and we're going to be back. And we're going to be back with ever-decreasing circles. And we're back within loving memory. And we well, still you... haven't done Odd Man Out. Well, I've still, no, we still haven't done Odd Man Out. And we've got ever-decreasing circles to do. The reason that we've done it like that is because you just could not wait to see Man About the House. Because you liked it so much. And even that was that was even picked up on via Twitter. But the fact that your, your enthusiasm for it was, was just overflowing. I liked it. I'm actually thinking of buying the box set. I think you should. It's about 14 quid on yeah. network. I think that's probably because it's a minus the VAT and stuff. No, okay. I liked it. I may have got a reputation for not liking it. It's just I'm not sure I can talk a great deal about that. I think and also, I'll tell you something else that occurred to me. You know, I got in trouble for picking up on the puff thing. Because at the time you said something about it, it was a very progressive series. I think that's why I picked up on that. Something that is completely of its time, that has humour and behaviours of its time, you don't really notice. Something that's ahead of the curve, even slightly ahead of the curve. Whenever it does something that's of its time, it seems to stick out. I'm a big fan of Hal Roach's Our Gang series of short comedies. Yes. In other words, with the children. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, generally, at least half the time, maybe more than half the time, Racially, they're very progressive. These are made in the 1930s, but it has the black children alongside the white children in the same school, and they're treated as equals. And then occasionally you will get a typical 1930s race joke. And it sticks out horribly. Whoa, hang on! It's like somebody slamming on the brakes when you're going at 70. And yet... I've probably seen other 1930s movies of the, of the time and not really, not, not so much not cared or not noticed, but it's just kind of like, yes, yeah, yeah, okay, we get the idea, keep going. We, it's a long time ago. And it seems to be more shocking when everything else is a few steps ahead of Do you history. know what? Here's a funny thing. I'm going to cite something which you wouldn't normally expect to hear cited in a conversation about progressive trends and being ahead of the curve and so on. The Confessions films of Robin Asquith. Okay. There are four of them from 74 through to 77. The last one in the series, Confessions... Of a massive racist. 
No, no, no. And it's not Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, either. That's not part of the series, which I discovered um, rather disappointingly uh, a few months back. Um, but <laughs> Confessions that would, from be, a- <laughs> that would be great if somebody booked that accidentally. <laughs> Put a big caricature. Actually, it would have been great if they'd made it with Robin Asquith. So, Confessions from a Holiday Camp, the last one of the series, has race-based jokes and homophobic jokes. And there haven't been any of those in the previous three episodes of the series, the previous three films. And because there hasn't been any of that going on, like you say about our gang, it absolutely stands out. If they'd always been like that, then you'd just sort of accept it. You'd sort of think, okay, well, that was the type of humour that we're using, you wouldn't use it now, that kind of thing. But because it hasn't been any of that going previously, then suddenly, when you've got that, it, it really does, it, it's, it's horrible. You're aware of it in a way that you wouldn't normally be. And so I, yeah, I take your point about Man About the House, that the language feels sometimes a little bit odds with the overall nature of the show. How do we get onto this? We're supposed to be talking about. Well, we always like to deal with business outstanding. Well, speaking of business outstanding, how are you enjoying Mother's Ruin? Oh. (laughs) I need to explain this. I recently furnished Ultra with a copy, all six episodes, of the short lived 1994 Granada series Mother's Ruin, starring Roy Bannerclough and Dora Bryan. Now, I say in 1994 because it was made in 1994, but it very much feels like a show from some 20 years earlier. The show suffered in as much as it went out during the World Cup of 1994 and fell victim to the whole pattern A, pattern B in TV times because the broadcasters didn't yet know what games were going to be showing. And so other shows in the schedule got shunted around here and there. So we didn't get a regular time slot. I mean, I'm quite enjoying it, actually. I'm, I'm three episodes into it just now. I'm quite, I'm quite enjoying it, for what it's worth. But yeah, it certainly feels a lot older than it actually is. Ocho, how much are you enjoying the show? I've kind of bailed one and a half episodes in. Oh, no, that is that is disappointing because you didn't get to see the joke which is ripped off from the younger ones that serves as a conclusion to episode two. I might go back to it. I don't know. <laughs> I've also got series one of The Many Wives of Petrick, which is you're far better. That. So I'm watching yes, Mother's Room. Yeah. Why am I watching this? I could be watching The Many Wives of Petrick. Yeah, I'm enjoying that. It's one of those shows where, as we had discussed before we began our recording. It's one of those shows where it's not necessarily the funniest show in of itself, but Patrick Cargill's performance really makes it. and makes this show, it makes it enjoyable, because he's such a big performer, big character, that he really carries the piece. And it's usually a piece which has a lot of different players in it. It doesn't have a regular ensemble, but it has a big, big cast of characters in the same way something like, for example, say Fala Ted, where you can always introduce another member of the priesthood in the many wives of Patrick. There are always not just ex-wives, but mothers-in-law and new husbands have come along and children and so on and so on. So there's always a big, big cast of supporting players that can come in. And I think that's probably helped it to get to the free series that it did. There was an American version that was an adaptation and there was an American version that was a not quite adaptation <laughs> in that that's a nice idea, we'll have that but we won't actually credit you which of course happened to a certain extent with Father Dear Father if you remember, Empty Nest Yes, And it wasn't just kind of going, oh yeah this is a little bit similar to Father Dear Father Hang on a minute, he's even got the dog <laughs> Anyway <laughs> In Loving Memory I kind of feel this is almost a warm-up in loving memory for tackling other northern matriarchal sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Or, not necessarily matriarchal, but that portrayal of a certain kind of northern English life. So that when we get to Last of the Summer Wine, and I didn't know you cared, yeah, we'll be glad that we did in loving memory. I find this a very charming show. I find it very... Um, it, it, it's one of those shows, I've, I've spoken about this before on the podcast, where there are certain shows which I'm not falling off my chair laughing at them. There are very, very few shows, actually, that make me hugely laugh out loud with big, boffo laughs and what have you. It's usually varying degrees of first smiling and then giggling and so on. But this is one of those shows where 
I just I like the overall setup and the performers themselves and the overall situation and yeah it's just one of those shows where you can you can just put on the DVD and you just get absorbed in it and there are supporting players as well people like Colin Farrell and Sherry Hughes who come in from time to time and yeah it's, I just find it a very very enjoyable uh, yeah you could say it's old fashioned I wouldn't say it was twee I wouldn't say it was very safe I wouldn't say it was in sort of Terry and Juden's safe middle class I territory. would go for that. I'd say it's a real oddity. And that actually there is something about it. It sort of fights itself in terms of tone. Generally, it gets the balance right. But you know, um, Upstairs Downstairs was originally pitched as a sitcom. I've heard this rumour, yeah. I don't know how it got from being a sitcom to being what it ended up being. But there's bits of In Loving Memory and you think, this is not a really a sitcom-y plot. It's not being handled in an entirely sitcom-y fashion. And there are bits where he said, yeah, I can imagine that almost this was pitched as a family drama and ended up drifting into sitcom territory. There are long stretches without laughs because they're not going for laughs. Wasn't there uh, another series that we've spoken about previously which was originally pitched as a drama and became a sitcom? Ooh, what would that be? Spats. Oh, yes. Oh, actually, yes. <laughs> That's going to be the earliest mention in, in in the podcast so far of Spats. Usually we leave it to, mm. towards the end. But uh, yeah. Oh, no, there, are, there are certain moments where they pause. They, they generally get it just about right in terms of pace. It's not kind of like, where are the jokes? But they do seem to pause more often to get the plot moving from A to B than other shows. To go back to how I started re-watching it again, I watched it when it was on TV at the time, and I got hold of a copy of the first episode. I thought, I'll have a look at this, it'll be rubbish, but it'll be nostalgic rubbish, fine. And it was completely different to the way I remembered it. I now know that what I was remembering was probably Series 5, which stands a bit apart from the first four series. Yes, you picked up on there being certain differences in presentation of Series 5, but we'll, we'll come on to that. Series 1, it's a bit of a, an oddity. Well, we actually starts... have to jump back 10 years before yes. Series 1, because there was a pilot made by Thames in 1969. Completely different cast, Edward Chapman, Harold Goodwin, Marjorie Rhodes. We don't really know a great deal about it. We've seen the odd TV times cutting, but it doesn't exist Yeah, I've seen a picture the of the cast, and that's it. And I'm assuming that if the pilot script was anything like the script for episode one, as it went out ten years later on Yorkshire television, I can imagine why it might be seen as just not ready for television. Have you seen the, the first series of Monty Python has some Undertaker sketches, not the infamous one that got cut out and had to be put back in NTSC-wise. There's one episode in the first series where they just have Undertakers behaving silly. There's a lot of that kind of feeling in Series 1, Episode 1. It crops up a couple of times later, but that seems to be the most focused. Uh, we have coffins floating down canals and people chasing hearses, trying to hold on to their top hats. You've got this unusual, not unheard of, but you've got this unusual situation where you have... A well-known actor appearing in episode one and not appearing again. The only other one that springs to mind at the moment would be the first episode of Jam in Jerusalem from the, the mid-zeros, so to speak, around about 2005, thereabouts, which features Howell Bennett in the first episode. And his character dies, and that's how then David Mitchell becomes uh, the GP in his local practice. In this case, we have Freddie Jones as the main undertaker in the business and it's sort of his demise that then leads to the setup involving Flora Hard and Christopher Beanie. And his funeral goes just as insanely wrong as all the other funerals. How do Unsworth stay open? Yeah, you do wonder. I mean sitcoms do make sort of allowances. This is an interesting area. Kind of thing that you, you notice this from time to time how in sitcoms it's, it, I mean obviously it depends on the internal logic you're dealing with so if it's a zany wacky sitcom then just about anything can happen and it doesn't matter because you can press a reset button but in most sitcoms you've got some sort of internal logic that just governs everything that happens but in sitcoms generally 
the rules on what you can and can't do or say tend to be much more liberal than in real life. You tend to be able to make, for example, very offhand, potentially very hurtful comments to your friends, your family members, and as long as it gets a laugh from the studio audience, then there are no ramifications <laughs> for the, the characters themselves. But sometimes, I mean, if you listen to, I mean, we were speaking previously about Only Fools and Horses, for example. Some of the things that Del Boy and Rodney say to each other in the course of a normal conversation, you know, could actually sour the atmosphere in the average living room for the rest of the evening, if not for longer. But in a sitcom, it's okay because it's just That's accepted. That's an interesting it's just thing about how that might affect the vogue for single camera, no audience comedy. That some of the st- yeah. Well, I'm not actually intelligent enough to discuss that right now. Anyway, and my brain's tired. So that's all we have time for. <laughs> I'm just going to take a nap. No, there's a few times I was talking about how this. There's actually a few times at the end of an episode where they get a high-profile funeral. I guess we only see the times it goes wrong. Yeah. Okay, it's... we have a problem here. You've yeah. only seen series one and two, right? Yes. I've seen all five series. And apart from the last series, they all tend to fudge and blur into each other. So it's just that I'm just thinking now we're talking about the status quo is God, press the reset button. In Loving Memory seems to like to play brinkmanship a lot more than other sitcoms. I mean, halfway through a series, kind of like, oh, Billy's leaving and he'll never be back again. Ah, he's back. Not that it's surprising a sitcom would do that, but In Loving Memory seems to love that. They seem to love sort of saying, that's it, we're going to break it, we're going to break it. Nah, not really. And we've even seen one where, and I don't know if you've seen it because I don't know what series it is, there's one where they've cleaned out the entire shop and they've moved. No, I'm not familiar with this one. Right, there is one where you'll see the shop is empty and they've put all of their stuff in the van. Again, something that's easy to do in sitcoms is to clear... This this happened in Manabilla House. George had given them the notice and they had to clear off and they've got all the stuff packed and what have you. The place is empty and, oh, hang on, we're staying. (laughs) They put it all back. (laughs) Again, that would be a massive inconvenience to anybody if you were told that you had to suddenly box up all your stuff and move out. Even though you'd be relieved when you were told afterwards it's okay, you can stay, you'd still be spectacularly pissed off about how long it took you. I mean, what, are you talking about the best part, about two or three days to do all that? But yeah, in sitcom, you can do that. I'll tell you another uh, thing Loving Memory loves, which is Girl of the Week. Oh boy, are they in love with that troll. Because Chris Sabini's character, he's, he's... I wouldn't. I wouldn't say ladies' man. That's not quite. That's not quite right. He has an eye for the ladies. We put it like that. He's written in a very inconsistent fashion. Not in a way that kind of breaks the character because people are inconsistent, and Christopher Beanie can sell it. <laughs> so there'll be lines about oh, he's been around, and little implications about this this woman in that street and this woman in the other street, and then there's a the whole thing. Oh, we don't have to worry about spoilers particularly, do we? There is one of their Brinkmanship episodes. Which no, 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 Billy... no, no spoilers. <laughs> no, I'm gonna. No, listen, just one, just one, just let me have one spoiler. One episode. That's it. Billy's leaving. It's the end of the show, and he's gonna leave, and he has to come back because he's forgotten his gollywog. That's the, yeah. <laughs> that's the punchline, and this this happens a few different times. Well, I've mentioned before on the shows about how this is a particular bugbear of mine, where you get. Uh, episodes of a sitcom which are positioned in the middle of the run which suggest that a major character is going to leave and you the viewer are at somewhat of a disadvantage if you are already in possession of a copy of next week's tv times and you've seen their name in the cast list but yeah episodes like that are usually best served at the beginning or best off at the end of a series because then there is actually the possibility that they may follow through with the suggested plot that they may actually have a character leave or at least you can suggest at the end of a series that somebody has left particularly if it's up in the air as to whether the series is going to come back or not and then at the beginning of the next series if everybody's back in place then you can have a reason for them to come back but of course by that point there's been a natural break in time there's probably a gap of a year between series so it doesn't then look absurd if they suddenly walk back into the shop but yeah like i say with that particular episode there he suddenly comes back He's forgotten his toy, then it, yeah, it's, it's a bit jarring. It's, it's yeah. not just the fact that they pressed the reset button. It's such, such a thin reason. It's like, well, can't you pick it up and take it with you, you idiot? 
Billy is also irresistible to women. Well, I, I can, I mean, okay, I'm not a woman myself, although I, I have met some over the years, but uh, I would imagine that... I am not Billy... in any way implying that Christopher Beanie is not a fine figure of a man and a big slab of beefcake. I'm, so, I'm talking about Billy. Yes, I know, but I mean, I, I'm given to understand that vulnerable men can be attractive to women. I think there was, there was something in him where I could definitely see that he would be popular with the ladies. Oh, yeah, I can, I can understand that. Yeah, Because the thing is that he's still, okay, he's a little bit sort of gauche and a little bit unsure of himself, but it comes across that he is a decent guy. Also, bearing in mind that Billy is often out with Ernie, and Ernie not being a perfect gentleman, and also suffering from foot-in-mouth syndrome... Billy's going to sort of look good by comparison. But yeah, no, Billy. Billy's a decent guy. He is a gentleman, and I think that comes across. If we're just going to break this down into talking about characters, what are we going to say about Ivy Onsworth? Now, my main memory of watching it at the time was that she did the posh talking on the phone every single week, like she did in Meet the Wife. I assume she didn't Meet the Wife. I haven't actually seen enough Meet the Wife to be secure in that opinion but I have a feeling that that was something that happened a lot If any sitcom club listeners are in possession of multiple episodes of Meet the Wife and could check the details of this and then come back to us, we would be grateful and we'll give you a name check Actually I'll tell you one thing about Ivy, she's delighted when her husband dies The glee is quite unseemly Series 1 episode 2 The Legacy and they're just overjoyed. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think this is something where, not just a sitcom, but also an ITV sitcom, you've got 24 minutes to play with. And if this was a longer piece, then there'd be more time for the natural range of emotions to come across. But given that we are limited in the time that we've got, I guess that kind of thing's going to happen from time to time. Again, I suppose you can add it to the list of sitcom tropes, is that you do have... Perhaps characters on the face of things reacting Hang on, no, in... no, I'm not buying this. We're not talking about people just saying hurtful things. We're talking about a wife being absolutely overjoyed that her husband has died. Yeah, okay. And but... has died quite unpleasantly. The car crashes and he ends up in a grave. And they just take a look. It's hardly worth digging him out. Which again is like... The, the, the image in my head is that he's not necessarily enough left <laughs> to take out. I've got this image of Jeremiah Unsworth with a steering column through some part of him. And doesn't Billy look really pleased? He's looking into this grave at this mangled body and this little <laughs> face. Okay, but we have established in episode one that Jeremiah is not a nice individual. And again, there's only so much time to play with, so you can't easily express it but they've been living with him for all that time in Ivy's case decades so I'm not saying there's no reason for it but it's, it's quite surprising isn't it it sticks out a bit mm, I know okay, what you right, mean come but... on then. C- c- right, okay bring him on name me all the sitcoms where the wives are overjoyed that their husband has died messily hang on a minute <laughs> is that George and Mildred where George was bisected uh, they didn't show that on ITV Free. No. Um, um, uh, where's the Where's Lewinson? I rest my case. Come on, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could watch every episode of Bootle Saddles and still not find an example. It's interesting. It sticks out. That's all I'm saying. It's It's, it's, it's a strangely in loving memory thing to go. Oh, 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 oh. Dead people, <laughs> aren't they hilarious? Okay, all right. Okay, now hang on, hang on a minute. Okay, I think you've, I think you've just set a trap for yourself there, because you said it's a strangely un- in loving memory thing. Let me put this argument forward. Given the nature of their business, you could say that Ivy is desensitized to yes. the whole process. Yeah. So I'm therefore, just saying this is not, this is not like spread across ITV sitcoms as a trope. I'm saying it's one of the things that marks it out. It's one of the things that hooked me back into this when I was watching it for pure nostalgia's sake. This is so gleefully black. You do occasionally get episodes where they try and take a break 
from the concept completely. And that's the thing. That's one of the things you mentioned about Man About the House. You don't need the concept to get a good episode. Uh, I'm thinking about, was it the first episode of Series 2, The Outing? Which isn't really about being an undertaker. Again, it's about the raw sexual magnetism of Billy Henshaw. <laughs> might not just mention, by the way, the, the surnames are different. Billy is Ivy's nephew. I think we might have missed that out. It's like the number of times Billy meets a girl. Oh, how are you? Oh, I've had a baby. And he goes, woo! Like it's his. Well, we don't know what he gets up to when... Oh, maybe he doesn't I was really going to say when the lights are out. I don't know. Hey? Maybe Billy doesn't actually understand how human reproduction works. I, 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 think, I think he must because I think that Ernie would have explained it to him. Or perhaps he's given him a bomb steer and he's given him a, an inaccurate explanation. But either way... I mean, yeah, I think that we can be assured that Billy, you know, he, he sort of, he's been around. And they're not necessarily going to include the footage of that in a half an hour sitcom. <laughs> I'm not complaining that we didn't <laughs> is, see the mechanics pre, of pre, it. I know that we've seen his rear in an episode. Oh, that, that's now that's far, a weird episode. That's as far as that goes. But otherwise, this is pretty That is the episode shit, Gone so. Dancing. Sorry, Gone Dancing is a very strange episode. <laughs> Because, for a start, huge chunks of it are on film and on location. There's also huge chunks of it are laugh-free. It really is... Intentionally, yes. Yeah, but there are long stretches of it you could just present as a period drama. And then, in the last five minutes, it becomes, whoops, my jelly mold. (laughs) And there's there's nudity and running around. Not running around nude, but there's (laughs) nudity and running between rooms. And the local good time girl. Also, interesting bit of continuity because Sherry Houston's character in that episode comes back in series two or three. How many Sherry Houston episodes have you seen? I think it's just the one. Right, she must come back in series three then. Which is, she then comes back in series four as a completely different character. And there's no reason for her to come back as a different character. Because the part she played... No, hang on a minute. Series 2, episode 3, The Honeymooners. I'm just looking at it here. I think that we need to actually So you add... have seen it. Or you skipped it. No, okay. I must have seen it. But we need to add to the list of regular features. Actors coming back into series later on as somebody else. Well, no, I don't think that's entirely necessary. It's actors coming back into the series as somebody else when they might as well be the same person. There is absolutely no need for Sherry Hewson's return to be a new character. In fact, it would ease the plot a bit if she was playing Doreen Nesbitt again. But couldn't you? You could also argue that by her coming back, it as would somebody really else, change the plot if, rather than playing Doreen Nesbitt, she was played by Darren Nesbitt. But that's an entire <laughs> <laughs> that's an argument for a different time. But it's, it's a really strange case. She comes back, and it's kind of like. What? You've brought her back once after a long break. Bring her back again. So, you know, I mean, it'll have been repeated in between times. Doesn't seem to me to be outrageous to sort of say, hey, everybody, remember that? Just edit in a flashback. There is actually in series five a cheetah episode where Ivy sits down and says, I remember the time this Didn't happened. You, yeah, that's and right. You point. said that, but it's only half of an episode and then the rest of it's all, all new. Is that right? Yes, yes, that was bizarre. It's, that really, it's that really like, is it's, cheating. It's, it's not like one of those golden girls where they all wake up in the middle of the night, get out a cheesecake, and remember previous episodes of the golden girls. <laughs> I don't it's, know why, but I, just, I always associate. I always associate episodes like that with with Good Friday. It's like whatever American show Channel Four is showing at that particular time, the Good Friday episode will be one of those ones. It'll be a non-standard episode of some description. Yeah, sorry, that is the thing. The plot in the second half. It's been a while since I saw series five. The plot of the second half continues on from. So it's like a sequel. It's half a sequel. I've hypnotized myself. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, there is that whole thing of. Yes, remember this. So, what was it? Of course, you do have the added disadvantage that you're watching series one and two scenes with the series five incidental music. Oh! Okay, can I alluded to this earlier on. Can you explain what this four, is about? For four series, incidental music is basically being needle-dropped off a library disc. 
they're particularly fond of a track, and I can't remember its name, but I know I sent you a copy. It goes, da 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 Well, yes, another yeah, one. Yeah, maybe some people recognise it from that. But you've got actual instruments playing. Series 5, somebody somewhere at Yorkshire Television went, oh, you got these new synthesizers, you can press a button and get any sound you like. No, you can't. And not only is the incidental music A, from a synthesizer, B, kind of Mickey Moused. You, you know the difference between Mickey Mousing and needle dropping? Mm-hmm. That it follows the action. Yes. And C, it's everywhere. It's all over everything. So somebody <laughs> walks up some steps and goes, and they walk down the steps. Oh! <laughs> They've got like the French horn setting for everything. I like that you explained that the the original incidental music had a, a proper instruments and it wasn't somebody just going da 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 Yeah, it was that itself, see, that was, my first unusual. one was inaccurate. My second was actually very accurate. <laughs> they might as well have got somebody in just to do it. Just they might as well have got Bobby McFerrin in. <laughs> so when are they going to bring out the remastered in loving memory with the series 5 sound effects overlaid on series 1 and 4? Also, Ivy's a different character in series 5. No, no, you don't mean that literally. You don't mean that she's actually changed, but you mean her personality is different. Yeah. The, you do hear series 1 to 4, you dirty little devil. A lot. But, okay, how spoilerific am I allowed to be? Okay, if we say at this point here... If you don't want to know how season five ends, <laughs> listen away now. And I'm going to include myself in that because I haven't seen season five. So I'm going to take my headphones off and I'm not going to listen to what you're saying now. Can you hear me? Okay, series five, Billy is married. And Ivy is doing everything in her power to stop the union being consummated. What gives? <laughs> I thought you. I'm sorry, I lied. I could hear all along. Oh, I'm sorry. No, okay, no, what is going on there? So, so can you see why Ivy is behaving like this? Has she got. Because it's kind of like, bread? that'll be funny. It seems <laughs> well, to be written. No. It just seems to be written along the lines of, never mind the character. What do funny people do in funny shows? But she must give some reason, though. She can't, it can't literally just be that she just runs into the room and says, ah, no, no, no. There has to be some reason. I mean, even the Series like, 5 just, is the, not very good. <sighs> It must I'm be. Going she, to say, she series say... five is really problematic. Series five is two years after series four. Yeah. And something's just happened in between time that is just kind of like, oh, let's just get it out there. How do we? What? How do we make this funny? Ah, I'm being. This, this is me being very unfair. I imagine a lot of hard work went into it, but something just seems to have fallen away sometimes the case, I mean the longer a series goes on you do start to get characters behaving out of character for the sake of the plot so the plot fitting around the character rather than vice versa Um, and in series 5 we actually have a character come back from series 3 Patsy Rollins as Tiger Lily Longstaff this is another one of the women who can't, There, there is one episode and I wish I could remember which it was but in my mind they are kind of like one Four series, series long episode, and a rather rubbishy special. There's one where they just can't keep their hands off each other. They're just what, constantly. What, what Ivy and Ivy and Patsy Rollins? <laughs> no, that would be silly. <laughs> There's just one where this woman's got the hots for Billy, and through a series of hilarious accidents, it looks like Billy has children of his own already. And at no point does Billy ever sort of say, well, hang on a minute, who are you children? He always goes, ooh, I don't know. In one of those things where everybody says, stop, everybody stop and explain to each other what's happening. No, that doesn't happen. But anyway, him and this other, they're, they're like barely got through the door and they're pulling clothes off each other. Sex and death, that's really, it's all in in loving memory. Television could have stopped. All the, all the themes are there. You can keep your mad That definitely men. fits into tropes. The idea of something which could so easily be explained. The example that was given to me once by a friend of mine who was a big, big fan of Faulty Towers was the anniversary episode 
why doesn't Basil just explain to the friends that Sybil walked out? With Basil, Basil is not well, and it's a terribly embarrassing confession. Under it's the okay. circumstances... It's okay if you put something in there. I was talking was it last time about a film, Penny Paradise, where somebody tries to explain, and for various reasons the explanation is not believed and is thought to have been part of a different plot. I say, oh, yeah, yeah, wink, wink, you keep saying that. Yeah, it's okay, I know you're lying. It's when you get something where there's no reason for somebody to just not say, stop, like Robin in Man About the House. He's got the girl, he just said, just, just before we go in, I share a flat with two girls, They're just friends, just want you to know that. No, he doesn't. He has to sort of say, oh, no, I'm, I, I share a flat with Woody Allen or something. I can't remember. Oh, he describes the guy. Well, I mean, but the, the problem there was that Jenny Hanley, not Jenny Agatha, <laughs> as I was absolutely adamant about, but Jenny Hanley could have then said, what, a fella sharing a couple of birds? Oh, what do you think this is? A submissive society or something? And then just got all Hilda Baker on him. Um, I mean, okay, it's not very likely. There was nothing to suggest that that would happen in, in the previous well, there you minutes, go. See, No, there you go. It's okay if you write it in there. To get that prejudice in there, so to say, it right. This is the reason why he can't do that. It just annoys me that episode. All Billy has to do is sort of say, "Look, let's you and me, girl of the week, go and find out what this situation is." Because it's not only is it not what it looks like, I don't even know what it is myself. Then I think there's there's some in between times that there are different times when he's with this girl. And the same thing happens again and again. He does. He seems to lose all curiosity. Auntie Ivy, why did that happen? Why were there a bunch of children in my room? Ah, now I know. I can explain. No, he doesn't. Even, oh. how, how much have I spent discussing one episode? Maybe this is really... You know what? We need to abandon this whole thing of discussing series as a whole. We just need to find the worst episode of something. Even the worst episode of something good. And just tearing it apart. I don't want to talk about series I don't like or I'm not interested in. We're not going to do Mother's Ruin. I'm not going to be there for Mother's Ruin. <laughs> I don't like Mother's Ruin, so I don't want to talk about Mother's Ruin. I don't think... By I mean, the okay, same I am, token, I'm... I can't talk too much about certain things that I like. Like the problem I had with Man About the House. It's good, but it's not good in a way I can pick apart. It's a good mechanism, but it's not a complex mechanism. I'll tell you what I've been watching, Sykes. I'm not sure I could talk much about Sykes, even though it is outstanding, really great piece of comedy and very hard to describe. Eric's personality shifts through different phases. It's all believably part of the same one, but he can be completely out of his depth and also the wittiest guy in the room. You can be Groucho Marx and Buster Keaton and Jacques Tati and his own personal twist on all of those from moment to moment, from scene to scene. Couldn't talk about it. So anyway, I've been dominating the conversation. This this has been a slightly newer experience for you, yeah, in loving memory. Yes, I did admit earlier on that I was stiff as a board and my brain has not been quite working as well as it should have been. So if I sound... You know, uh, for a moment that sounded like you were bored by the show. You've been working, haven't you? You've been lifting stuff and it's tired you physically and mentally. Oh yes, no, no, so no I said I didn't explain that. No, um, yesterday uh, I was... We're not going to include any of this, are we? Um, we yeah, bet, no, we yes. better include it. If you, if you apologise for something, we better have the explanation. Don't just go, trust me on this one, while I am absolutely brilliant most of the time. I'm not up to it today. You can't. You, right. you, have, to, you yes. have to back it up. You can't just go. Well, where are things you don't need to know about? Don't you worry your pretty little head about this, listeners? Well, okay. So yesterday, I'm not the most physical. That sounds completely wrong. The way I just phrased that. I'm not. I'm not somebody who's used to daily manual labour. I don't. I don't usually work with heavy, lifting heavy items and so on. But yesterday, I was doing a lot of lifting and putting stuff in the back of 
four by four and taking it off to the tip and what have you. And it's left me bloody sore. And I feel like I should be in an advert for Stephen C's cod liver oil tablets or something of that ilk. So yeah, I did confess this to Ocho before we started the recording. Uh, and and yeah, so I'm not I'm not quite all there right now. So apologies for that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and if this ever makes it <laughs> to the air, this show, then then you know why I, I, I you didn't hear very much from me. And when you did hear, well, from let's me, get some of your impressions because I'm a bit more in the chair on this in a way, having seen all five series and three of those series twice. Okay. Do you think there's enough in this that we can actually do series three to five with you? We... Well, right now? No, <laughs> I mean for, for a future instalment. Potentially I think so. we could get Man About the House again, a part two out of that, even if everything stalls just talking about the film. Just give us some impressions. Come on, give us some impressions. Impressions, right, Brucey. <laughs> no, um, right, okay, so... I agree with you that, yes, certainly Billy can be a bit of a complex character because at times you think he seems almost not terrified. I wouldn't say he was terrified of women, but he Actually, certainly. Actually, you know, it just occurred to me, um, George Formby. He's George Formby. You know, George Formby frequently has a thing, Mother! Yes. Or yeah. is that Anthony Perkins? But. <laughs> And Billy has his anti-Ivy. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. But at the same time, as you said, uh, sometimes it suggested that he could have um, followed children throughout the, the North, East and beyond. Yeah, I guess, again, it, it, it's sort of, you know, character bending to fit the plot of a particular episode. But I don't think there's anything massively contradictory in there. Well, I think Christopher Beanie is the one who makes that work. I'm not sort of saying that Dick Sharples, who wrote it, was being slack or anything. There comes a point as well that you know your actor can do it. It's just an interesting thing to pick up on. And also, we should remember, of course, that for all that we say that we want to have realism uh, and believable characters and so on, if that's the case, then we should also accept that, you know, human beings... No, I'm going to say that is realism in a way. Well, yeah, it's exactly I'm going to say frequently. Human beings do things which, on the face of it, look contradictory. And sometimes people can have multiple facets of their personality, which you'd look at it and say, well, that doesn't look like the... Yeah, you know, I once went to an informal person, but... lecture about Sherlock Holmes, and the guy sort of went through all the things that were said about his personality that didn't add up and said, this all works. This all You know, that he's... On the one hand, he's supposed to have, like, his fingers are covered in plasters and they're all discoloured because he's been doing experiments, and then another one describes he had a cat-like love of personal cleanliness. I say, that that all works. But it takes it takes a certain amount of work to make that fit together. And I think with a different actor as Billy, it might have fallen apart, because they might have switched modes, their gormless mode and their Lothario mode would be too different. We'll talk about it eventually, The Many Wives of Patrick. And like I said about Eric Sykes, you can believe that that he will be well at ease with whatever's happening and then completely out of his depth and still be the same person. We're not really giving Thora Heard much credit here. We've hardly mentioned her. This is true. This is true. And certainly she is the, the character who is, I guess you'd say, the strongest character. I mean, she's the, the person who has kept business together because I don't know that um, Jeremiah was really capable of... of, um, And she's part of that character of the Northern English matriarch. Particularly very Yorkshire thing, but I think think they're allowed to have them in Lancashire. And you can tell that, of course, you know, the, the business relies on, to an extent, it relies on the connections that she has within the community and she knows that if she says certain things to her friend, for example, she knows that that'll be sort of telegraphed on to other people in the, in the town and what have you and it all just serves to keep the business ticking over. Um, and of course, yeah, she's going to worry about Billy. She, she, she's not a stereotypical obviously because she's not his mother for a start, so that, that goes some way towards it, but she's not a stereotypical domineering woman in the household I wouldn't say she's got yeah she's got her concerns about Billy and so on and she gets upset if she thinks it's about to leave for example but she's not like a, a female version of Albert Steptoe oh no you know no. what I mean she doesn't she doesn't act like that so so I've gone quiet there 
because I'm thinking about at some point we have to do Last of the Summer Wine Getting Sam Home. I just rewatched that last week. And the different types of women in that were fascinating because in some way superficially it just seemed to be dragons and good time girls. But it wasn't. Ivy in Last of the Summer Wine reminds me of Ivy, the cafe owner or cafe co-owner in Last of the Summer Wine. A little bit. Last of the Summer Wine Ivy is a little harsher. But there is that thing that the... The last of some wine guys, they're slightly afraid of Nora Betty. They're slightly afraid of Ivy, but they respect her. There is that feeling that she wouldn't necessarily leave them entirely in the lurch. And of course, Sid has got a slightly stronger character than Wally Batty. So we, 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 we could do a diagram of this. The thing is, when we get to I Didn't Know You Cared, I'm going to say that the women in I Didn't Know You Cared are not as strong. They seem to they seem to fall into stereotypes a lot more and they don't seem to quite manage to outgrow them in the way that they do in the better episodes of Last of the Summer Wine. Oh, the later episodes of Last of the Summer Wine. Now, how many different sitcom club episodes do we need to cover the whole of Last of the Summer Wine? All of them, I think. That's it from just now on. Right. So this is now years. Last of the Summer Wine Club. years to get through it, I think. The last of the sitcom club. <laughs> we need to have an edition where we just talk about women. And I think it would help if we had some women on the show. Okay, where sh- where can we find some? <laughs> well, we will put out the word before we record the episode. Uh, I wish we'll have some fine female contributors to that episode. We need Christopher Beanie and they'll just flock to <laughs> We need to use him as bait. We need to tie him to a stick and hold it up. We put a picture of Christopher Beanie and he's looking a little bit sort of lost. And we just put that on the on the site and then, yeah. Yeah, we're just, yeah, we'll be inundated. We're going to have to come back to In Loving Memory because there's a lot we haven't covered. We haven't covered what a terribly weak concept the episode Pork is. <laughs> there's an episode called there's Pork. There's an episode just called Pork. It's the. Are you sure that wasn't just an advertisement from for pork that was halfway through? No, there is an episode called Pork. It has John Sims in it as the widow of a pork butcher. It's another one of those. As Billy's leaving. Oh no, he isn't. That's it. Every other episode is Billy's leaving. Oh no, he isn't. And the other episodes are Billy's got a girl. Oh no, they've split up. Yeah, no. And then there's the one with the play. That episode just sort of goes on, doesn't it? Because it's like, yeah, there's John Sims, and she's like, you know, oh, you're a lovely chap, Billy. And then before you know it, it's like Billy's sort of leaving, and he's had his head turned by the mistress of the pork. And then he comes it sounds back. Like, I mean, the seven episodes in that series, that one seems to feel like the least, the one you could knock out and have a good six-episode series. Because after that, you have Comeback Little Malcolm, which isn't really about... Ivy and Billy at all. It's all about this bloke Malcolm Fletcher and his problems. And actually that's an interesting one about how bold it is in sexual terms. Not so much as what you see. Extramarital affairs in sitcoms generally tend to be Good night. <laughs> but they generally tend to be look both ways, see that her across the road isn't looking, and then the front door closes. In this, there actually are you know bedrooms and underwear. It's it's like it's like the question <laughs> I usually ask to try and kill a conversation off, which is less than some wine. How would a marina? Did they or didn't they? <laughs> Because of course they didn't. People in a sitcom like that don't. It doesn't exist. Well, no, okay, no, I'm going to put forward a contrary Even argument. Even to a certain extent in Getting Sam Home. It's not, I don't know. It's almost kept slightly out of the picture. Whereas, well, I don't think, I don't think there's whereas any, I don't in Comeback Little question. Malcolm, intimacy has taken place. There is no plausible deniability. Yes, he did not make his excuses and leave. But Getting Sam Home certainly... That, that that that's a given. I mean, yes, it it's it's not said explicitly, but there's no doubt about it. In Howard and Marina, I'm going to put forward the controversial view that they have. 
And the re- I know, uh, no, dun, dun, the reason uh, I'm that, no, the reason I'm putting that forward is because um, I don't think that Marina would have put up with Howard all that time if nothing had happened. I think eventually she would just got fed up with his answers. I don't know. I think Marina um, just likes the attention because are they actually supposed to be in Home Firth? Or are they in some sort of mythical, more isolated town? Well, they... I think, think Leicester the know... Summer Wine Town is kind of a lonely place. Certainly for somebody like I Marina. I think that they... No, I, I, think, I think that the two of them, I think Howard and Marina, know all the nice little isolated areas. It's just that I've heard it argued that really what Howard likes is coming up with the harebrained schemes. That is the that is what is in it for him. He he just likes. I think we've cracked it this time, love. He just likes coming up with alibis, and that's it. And I think I think last of the summer Wineville is a very lonely place for somebody like Marina, and she's quite happy that somebody's paying attention to her. Okay, okay, and on a scale of meters, shall we say, in length, okay. How far would you have spat your tea out if on one Sunday evening last summer wine had opened with a scene of Howard Marina um, uh, post-relations in bed? <laughs> I would have just raised my eyebrow because I kind of trust Roy Clark. He's just... Howard's just, how still got his cap he's on. He's just saying, oh, oh, that was lovely. To a certain extent. <laughs> to the extent to which you can trust the person who wrote Keeping Up Appearances to know what they're doing. Now, okay. Now, I can let let let's get let let let's get lengths on the table, right? What what is it? What is <laughs> now, it about? Had an episode of Less Than Someone opened <laughs> with Compot and Cleggy <laughs> and all the others. Yeah, you know Seymour and and Blair Meyer and Foggy, and you will see more. <laughs> and truly, and characters from other shows all lengths on the table. Then I would have spat my tea out and thought, what's he doing here? What do you mean, do you mean Kaiser's from other shows? What do you mean, anybody? Pretty, yeah. What, what Frank Boff? <laughs> Food and drinks, Chris Kelly? Nicholas Witchell? What are yeah. we talking about? Um, Emu? <laughs> Jack Duckworth? The Munch Bunch? I mean, any- <laughs> <laughs> Barber Papa? Watu Watu Superbird? <laughs> Oh boy, that unusual big board. Um, yeah, no, they're all there. Um, but okay. <laughs> I can't remember how. I can't even remember what point we're discussing this week. <laughs> and the demon oh, headmaster. No, okay. No, hang on. I've I, I've lost the plot now. The what? <laughs> you had a point to make. I, I was. I can't remember what it was now. What, what was this? What was I saying? We were talking about. Well, we're talking about keeping up appearances. Oh, you know, I was, yes, that was it. Okay, so what? What? What is it about keeping up appearances that you intensely dislike? It's ridiculously formulaic. The mechanics of the plots just always seem to be... Maybe I just don't like farce. And then, of course, I've been seeing Potter. I, I watched a bit of Series 1, and then I thought, I'll just I'll just take a quick look at Series 3 when they change lead actor. For good, you know, reasons. And they've even got the neighbours from Keeping Up a bit. Not the same actors, not the same characters, but a very similar set of... Oh, no, it's him! Hide! Just any time I've watched Keeping Up Appearances, it's just seemed like... Yeah, I can tell where this is going because it went there last week and the week before that and the week before... Like the thing that Hyacinth decides that she's auditioning... I don't know. Is it the next door neighbour she keeps singing at? Yes, yeah. That gets old real quick. And it just seems to be made up of these little things and, oh yes, their son's gay and she doesn't realise it. Hilarious. (sighs) Yeah, but I mean... Well, I mean, okay, yes, it is. For, it certainly is formulaic the show, but again, sometimes don't try and defend it. No, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defend it. I'm gonna defend it. Sometimes that might just be what you're in the mood for. Sometimes you just want what you know. You just then want I'll to put watch the many wives of you... Patrick. 
But the, ah, but the thing is, is you don't know the acting as well. The acting just seems to be up to eleven in the hopes that it will somehow carry it over the line. I don't like it, and you're not going to persuade me. Doesn't even have a character coming out at the end to say "God bless," like Odd Man Out. At least Odd Man Out has that going for it. That you. Oh, hey, no spoilers. We haven't done Odd Man Out yet. Um. <laughs> okay, so you you're saying that you'd rather watch Take a Letter, Mister Jones, and keep yes. And Take a Letter, Mister Jones is not particularly good, but I think it had potential. I think if it kept going, it would have eventually hit a stride. No, um. So yeah, um. <laughs> as I'm being, I'm being very dismissive of Take a Letter, Mister Jones, but I, it's not I, obvious. I, I, I'm not quite, saying the potential is obvious. I can understand why people might I, not I, see it. I, I quite, I quite liked it. I watched I it as part of my research for <laughs> research for Ottoman Out. Research. That word has lost all meaning. Now. Has, has anybody has anybody ever researched Odd Man Out before? And I'm not talking about the James Mason film. I'm sure people have used that for their film studies degrees or whatever. Now that's another terrible booking, isn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, Carol reads Odd Man Out, and then suddenly <laughs> looking at John Inman riding a stick of rock. I would be probably the only member of the studio audience who you know, was delighted. Did, it, did you get that? Did you get that film poster I sent you of Chris Christopherson in Trouble in Mind? Yes, I did, yes. And again, if that if that was playing at the, the Glasgow Film Theatre, I would be the only person disappointed to discover it wasn't Richard O'Sullivan. Everybody else, the, the very notion just would not have come to them. Okay, we need to make a list now. Sitcoms with names like films. Oh, well, Roots, there you go. Oh, dear. That's not film, it's wow. a TV, TV movie, but what the hell. So there's that. Uh, no, we don't. God. We don't need right, to do come this. Come on, there must be. No, we want the no. I've started, so I'll finish. There must be more. Um, well, uh, we'll have to take a letter, Mister Jones' argument when we get to Odd Men Out, which we may never do. No, we, 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 we'll get there. We just need to get need to get the network together for that one because we're not going to. We're going to do that the week after been... Spats, are we? And we're never going to do Spats. But we are going to do Spats. We've got to do Spats. We've trailed do you think we've so left enough we not do meat on the bones of In Loving Memory to come back to it? And we can come back to that Series 4 episode with the plane, where it's like, we've hired a plane, there goes the plane, look at the plane, look, plane, we spent money on that plane, no, you can't have any jokes, plane, look at the plane! <laughs> it goes on forever, that thing. So, okay, In Loving Memory, summary. You'd recommend it, wouldn't you? I'd recommend the first four series. Yes. It is cosy, but it also has this leafly black streak. It can surprise you. And I'll reiterate what I said at the beginning. It's one of those shows where I think that you can warm to the situation, you can warm to the actors themselves. I'm not overly concerned if it's the odd deviation from characterisation or the plot. I think it's, it's one of those shows where... I wasn't talking about deviations from characterization as a bad thing. I was just talking them as a point of interest. I don't have to love or hate any of the things I highlight. Splatter. Yes. No. No. You. I mean. You. No. You. You're on the record now. You said you. You liked. In loving. Yeah. Memory. Oh yeah. There we go. Yeah. I so, bought all yeah. five series. Cool. You did. But one of the discs, I think, you haven't put in the machine as much as some of the other ones. Therefore, you're a yes, hater. Absolutely. Right. So. James Hater from the Mr. Kipling adverts, specifically. Right, now, and of course, are you being served? What part did he play? He was Mr. Tebbs, who was head of menswear in 1978. And then James Hater actually left the series because he was effectively given an ultimatum by the makers of the Mr. Kipling adverts. They thought that his character in what? Grace Brothers was a little bit too grumpy. For the, This is true. They thought that his character in Grace Brothers was a little bit too grumpy for him playing the kindly old voice of Mr. Kipling in the adverts. And so he, he was effectively sort of told, we're rather ill, Ill at ease Wait with a this. minute, um, I know he him. he actually gave up. And he, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm Yeah, he was in yes. an episode of um, Father Brown. And he gave up the series. He gave up How You Being Served. Uh, as a result, and carried on with the Mr. Kipling adverts until his death in, I think, 1983. 
I wish he'd gone on longer in I being served because I, I like Mr. Tibbs. He, he took over, of course, from Arthur Broth. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Tibbs would have been a nice character to go into um, a later series with. So. No, there's a Father Brown story with a character that I can't quite. Reading the story, I couldn't quite imagine. And they cast him as that character in the ATV television adaptation. It's like, good God, he stepped straight off the page. Now I completely understand. He fits the description of the character so perfectly. Yes. So are we coming back to In Loving Memory? I think we'll come back to it at some okay. point in the future. Yes. After Spats. So what... Not that there's a show called... It's not like Aftermash. After Spats. <laughs> oh, yes! Now then! Breaks on. We've got breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. A dear listener, Gradual Decline, has emailed me to tell me the breaking news that... The American version of Open All Hours, called Open All Night, apparently there are episodes, full episodes of that in circulation on the Whoa. internet. Whoa! And I am going to try and acquire these, uh, and then the next time you and I, Ocho, are on the podcast, uh, we, we need to come back to Open All Hours. Because we, we certainly did it do. Our, yes. I think that was, the, was that the first one we did, or was that the second that was one of the very, very first shows that we ever did. That was uh, that was live on the radio, and so it's not on the podcast feed. But uh, yes, we will definitely come back to Open All Hours at some point in the future. So things that are on the agenda for future discussion. I'm not going to promise what the next one is. Ever Decreasing Circles. Ever Decreasing Circles is on there. Odd Man Odd Out, Man which out. will be with um, DCT Women. and Bobby as long with ourselves. Now, is that, what, is that a show? Carla Lane that, show. It just, it just. Yeah, I was going to say, I was with exactly going to say, it's just like a e. Carla Lane show. You need to watch Solo with Felicity Kendall. Okay, you can, you're not qualified to talk about women unless you've okay. seen Solo. That's news to me. That's the rule. Okay, so we've got Ever Queens and Suckles. We've got Odd Man Out coming up. Um, obviously, I should say we've got another show that I'm not going to mention. Nothing, but we, <laughs> there's going to be a show when I'm going to have to spend the first few minutes arguing that it is a sitcom and not a drama. Oh, God, no. I mentioned the name. I want to spring it on them. I want the reactions to be pure when we say, this week we're discussing beep beep. There was no way that you are going to be able to spin the University Challenge as a sitcom. <laughs> so I wish you just Also, last come time I talked to Box, uh, he said, oh, yeah, I heard, I heard you t- trying to persuade Mooncat that Dick Turpin was a sitcom. I didn't. I just tried to persuade you that it was good and it was worth talking about. I know it's not a sitcom. Humorous, got plenty of humour in it, but it's not a sitcom. I know that, but I like Dick Turpin. It's good show. I, I really do. I really like that. The, the, the fact that by me simply saying to you it's not a sitcom, that we've convinced listeners that, that you were actually trying to argue that case. That's brilliant. So I'm just going to reiterate once more, Dick Turpin is not a sitcom. doesn't good, matter though. how many times you try and say it. Good. Oh, damn it. Okay. Now, let me just also say as well, because I don't think we've said this for uh, a little while, if you have an idea for a show that you would like us to discuss on the air, please let us know. We're on Facebook as the Sitcom Club. We're on Twitter as well. And, of course, you can get in touch with us at sitcomclub.com. So if there's a show that you'd like us to cover, uh, just let us know and we will seek it out. We've got our sort of fingers here, there and everywhere and all the, the dark sitcom recesses of the internet. So we can usually acquire bits and pieces. Bloody hell, if we can get hold of Mother's Ruin, then we can pretty much get hold of anything. <laughs> we can't get a hold of the rest of Bootle Saddle. The one show that we have not been able to track down. If you can get hold of this... Okay, here's a guarantee right now, okay? And it doesn't matter what Ocho says as to whether he's going to do this or not. I guarantee you that he is, right? If anybody listening has a copy of even a single episode of Felicity Kendall's 1994 sitcom Honey for Tea, co-starring Leslie Well, I would, I'd be on board for that because it was such a bomb. Because I remember at the time people making yes. fun of how bad yeah. it was. So that that show we've not been able to track down. Well, she was supposed anywhere. to be American, wasn't so she? Anybody... Maybe we could combine that with The Land of Hope and Gloria. Compare and contrast. Cause oh. that, that was another one that I remember people oh. going, oh man, what is what happened here? Why did you have to remind me of that? And okay, are we going to throw in A Perfect State whilst we're at it? What's the concept behind that? I'm not familiar with A Perfect that. State is an ill-advised sitcom version of one of the finest British films of all time, Passport to Pimlico. With Gwen Made Taylor. In, the, yes, the perfect state, not Passport to Pimlico. Don't look for her, you'll strain your eyes. Indeed. 
But uh, no, um, Perfect State started off in its evening slot and eventually finished up on Sunday afternoons, which is where all failed sitcoms go in the end. Oh, Kinvig, um, that's another one we have, we're have. we going to do. That's on the agenda. I've got three episodes worth of notes for Kinvig. Yes. And I have a feeling that as if I get to... How many more episodes are there? Three? There are another three, yes. I have a feeling they're going to get sparser and sparser because I think I can see the flaw now in the show. Yes. Yeah, First so, episode, okay, it's so... like, oh, no, this is okay. Second episode, I can see, yeah, I can see where this is going. Third episode, ah, right, I see. This isn't going to develop, is it? Okay, so we'll leave it open-ended as far as what you and I will be covering next. So it'll be a pleasant surprise. But it will definitely be Dick Turpin. That will be on our secondary podcast. Turpin Club! Yes. Um, we'll discuss Dick Turpin, the week after that Ben Turpin, and then the week after that Betty Turpin from Coronation Street. I'm going to tell you something uh, to close this podcast that is going to blow your mind. Mark Kermode, the film reviewer. <laughs> I like the pause there. <laughs> Had to try and remember. <laughs> right. You, you Mark automatically K- put scare quotes around film reviewer just by <laughs> pausing so long before you said it. He has an involvement in Muller's Ruin. I'm not going to say any more than that. <laughs> so if anybody, if anybody works it out, if anybody can work out what Mark Kermode's involvement in Muller's Ruin is, then please tweet us. Let us know. Was he on the side? No, you see, you've just kind of spoiled it for. Well, no, I can see? bleep that out. You see. Ah, okay. <laughs> so we'll leave people thinking about that, and we'll be back next time with Dick Turpin. I meant to ask you. Dick Turpin visits Spats. You tweeted me to say that at one point you laughed at Muller's Ruin. And then you tweeted me later on to say, oh look, it's Alan Hello Rothwell. Yes! Was that the line that made you laugh? No, I think... (laughs) I think think it was Dora Bryan calling Roy Barraclough a scumbag or something. (laughs) It was just well delivered. (laughs) No, I was hoping that Alan Rothwell opened the door and just went... Hello. And then you immediately had a flashback to Picture Box. <laughs> no, that would have been marvellous. And also, if it had played his music when he opened the door as well. Yes. Okay. Alan Rothwell takes on the order of Pat Mustard and his music plays wherever he goes. Well, you know, with technology these days. I don't know anybody who actually has their own theme music following them about. <laughs> that, that technology... That just hasn't happened yet. I mean, you could do it with a smartphone, but... So thank you very much indeed for listening to this edition of the Sitcom Club. Sorry that that I was not at quite full strength, mentally or physically. Uh, and yes, I shall be charging my batteries and uh, raring to go. I'm sort of... I'm, you can't see this, but I'm sort of doing like a, a fist movement like David Kelly in Faulty Towers. Not to worry, I'm putting it right. There you have it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, the Sitcom Club on Twitter, and you can find details about all the previous podcasts at sitcomclub.com. Ocho, you've been Ocho. And from me, Alan Rothwell, hello. And goodbye.